0: Welcome to Legends of the Hall, the podcast centered around the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs, telling the stories of the greatest stars in the history of pro rodeo. This is episode number six, and it's an encore presentation. On this Thanksgiving week, one of the true legends of the Western way of life joins us, Red Stiegel. Red was the first guest on our Legends of the Hall podcast back at the end of September. He is the legend of pro rodeo for 2023. And will be honored on December the 4th at the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame's Gold Buckle Gala, the kickoff event of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Red Stegall is the 18th man to be honored as a legend of Pro Rodeo, following Jake Barnes, Jim Shoulders, Clem McSpadden, Harry Bold, Larry Mahan, Sean Davis, Dean Oliver, Donnie Gay, Benny Binion, Mel Potter, Neil Gay, Michael Gaughan, Keith Martin, Cotton Rosser, Bob Tallman, Clint Johnson, and Mike Servey. This is professional rodeo announcer Steve Kenyon. Legends of the Hall is being sponsored by Wrangler, the official Western wear of pro rodeo. Long live cowboys. In just a moment, you'll meet Red Steagall on Legends of the Hall. Hey y'all, this is Cody Johnson. When I was starting out in music, most every radio station and venue I went to told me no. At that point, you got two options, tuck tail and quit, or buckle down and
1: fight. Well, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. And that's why I wear Wrangler jeans and shirts. Their toughness and style are legendary, they're an iconic symbol of the West, and there's no quit in them either. Life's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And if I'm gonna enjoy the ride, I'm riding in Wrangler. Wrangler, long live cowboys.
0: Hi, everybody. This is Steve Kenyon. Thanks for all of your support of our 8 Seconds Media radio shows, the new Steve Kenyon podcast, and our social media sites. Now you can wear 8 Seconds Media wherever you go. Just visit the 8 Seconds Media store, ball caps in some fun colors, T-shirts in all sizes for men and women, and with fall coming, we've got some warm hoodies waiting for you. Just click on the shop link at 8secondsmedia.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Legends of the Hall, the podcast highlighting the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. On December the 4th at the South Point Hotel and Casino, the annual Gold Buckle Gala will kick off the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Red Stiegall is this year's legend of pro rodeo. He joined us on our very first Legends of the Hall podcast. I hope you enjoy this encore presentation with Red Steagle on Legends of the Hall. Hi everybody, I'm Steve Kenyon, and I'd like to welcome you to a brand new show, a brand new podcast. This is episode number one. We call it Legends of the Hall. We're going to highlight the Pro Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs every week, a place that I have fallen in love with. And... I'm proud to be able to welcome the very first guest to Legends of the Hall. A man who's in numerous Halls of Fame all by himself and will be the honoree this year on December the 4th at the South Point Hotel and Casino of the Gold Buckle Gala, the kickoff event, in my opinion, every year, the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. You probably already know who this gentleman is, the legendary Red Stiegel, um, who will be honored at the Gold Buckle Gala of the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. Red, welcome and thank you.
1: Thank you, Steve, I'm so proud to be here. And I, I'm glad you called me a legend. I remember one time I was introducing Clark McIntyre at the Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City and he was introduced as a legend and he said, well, I'm honored to be a legend but I'd rather be Rookie of the Year. (laughs) Uh, I've thought about that an awful lot, but I am deeply honored uh, that they would award that to me because when I look at that list of people who they've honored in the past, they're the people who created rodeo as we know it today, who have kept it alive for generations and made it America's great sport. And to have my name attached to that is quite humbling.
0: Um, guys like Sean Davis, Bob Tallman, who's been a guest of yours on your In the Bunkhouse show, I think. Um, Harry Bold, Cotton Rosser, uh, the list goes on and on. It is one of the, it's one of the greatest elite clubs to be a member of, I think you could find in the Western way of life, isn't it, Red?
1: Well, it is, and, and one of the great honors of my life is on the uh, wall of the Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs and in the hall of the the building that houses the the, the rodeo association is my name as part of the original uh, board of trustees. And that's one of the great honors of my entire life. And I'm so, because rodeo was so important to me. uh, As a youth, I wanted to be a a cowboy. That's all I wanted to be, except I wanted to play football for Phillips uh, High School. And I wanted to be a a large animal veterinarian. And, When I was 15, I lost my left shoulder to polio, right at the end of the the world of polio. And uh, so all those things couldn't happen anymore. And so I started looking for other ways to to make my life complete as I thought it. Instead of just sitting around and saying, woe is me, why did the Lord choose me to, to wind up with this affliction? I took it as a positive thing and made it work for me instead of against me.
0: I read that story about you having polio the other night. I was doing some, some looking back and forth. And this may not be a good comparison, but you know who I thought of? Cotton Rosser. Cotton was going to be a great competitor in the rodeo arena. And then he got in a bad accident. He, he broke both of his ankles with a pulse hole auger, I think, if I remember the story. And that is where the greatest showman in all of pro rodeo history got his start was becoming a stock contractor. You were gonna ride bulls. You were gonna play high school football. You got polio when you were 15. And the way I understand the story, and correct me if I'm wrong, you started playing the guitar and the mandolin partly as physical therapy. Is that correct? Is that is that kind of where the roots of the Red Steagall that we know today came from?
1: Well, part of it. But I knew that I had to do something I wanted to, be a musician also. And, and my fingers were just like pieces of spaghetti. They had no movement whatsoever. So I concentrated. Mother bought me a mandolin. She paid it out one dollar a month for 10 months. And, and uh, then I would concentrate days on end, making one finger strong enough to keep from muting the strings until I could make a three-fingered chord. And then together we bought me a guitar and I learned to play open chords on on the neck. I can't move my arm up and down the neck. So the boys in my band have never called me a musician. (laughs) And that's okay with me. We've gotten by pretty good. But uh, it was a a great challenge. It made me realize that there's still a lot of life left even when things change. Uh, A feller told me one time he was my mother's best friend. He was a janitor at the school where she taught and he would come by our house, and we lived in a little bitty town, about 100 people. He lived all the way on the other side of town, all three blocks away. And he had stopped by, and she would fix him a cup of coffee on his way home. And uh, there was one time that I had uh, saved up enough money for a new bicycle. I had a paper route. I was making $6 a month. Big money. Big money. It was because the most money I'd ever made was picking up Coke bottles for $0.05 a deposit on them. And so that was a that was a big chunk of change for me and I bought that that uh, bicycle and I left it out in front of the yard and daddy ran over it. And so I was devastated and this fella came by and I was crying and carrying on and he said what's the matter with you and I said well look at my bicycle my brand new bicycle and daddy r- ran over it. He said let me tell you something. Things that have happened to you that are good are to make life pleasant today. Things that happen to you that are not good and or really make you upset or to toughen you up for tomorrow because you're going to meet those same kind of challenges later on down the road i never forgot that i never got over it i still don't get over it i still think about it and so when i leave a situation that's unpleasant i only take the positive parts of it with me i leave the negative parts of it in the dustbin and they work themselves out
0: and when you got that phone call from Tom Glaus saying, hey, we want you to be our honoree at the Gold Buckle Gala, um, did you have any idea it was coming? I mean, how did you react when you got that call?
1: I had no idea whatsoever. That's, that would be the farthest thing from my mind, that I would be recognized by an industry that I dearly love. And would, it was a treasure to be a part of it for about 20 years. And I had no idea that I would ever be recognized by the rodeo uh, industry to receive an award as the legend of the year. That's so far outside the realm of possibility for me that no way I, my thought processes would allow me to, to even accept it. But I was i was really overwhelmed when Tom called me.
0: When you were a kid, bef- before polio, when you thought, okay, someday I want to be a singer and a songwriter. Were you already writing songs? Were you already writing stories? Where did that come from? When did that start? No,
1: I wasn't writing songs. I was probably making up stories, yeah. uh, you know. Don't we all? in those days they used to call it daydreaming stop that daydreaming well I think that's what creates creative minds is the imagination seeing things that nobody else sees in a way that nobody else sees it and I'm sure that a lot of times I'd sat down on that riverbank and it was a mile wide and the bluffs were 300 feet high with a stream of water about that wide and, and I'd sit there and one day I'd be I could see the teepees all the way down that river bottom and I'd I'd be uh, with uh, Quanah fighting the white eyes, and the next day I might dream I was with Goodnight going up the trail to Kansas. So uh, most of what I've done with my life was created in that environment where I was free to come and go as I pleased. Mother trusted me to know the difference between right and wrong, and I learned to live with nature, and that's an experience I'll never forget
0: i uh, joined by Red Stegall. This is the inaugural edition of the Legends of the Hall podcast. I want to say thank you to the American Paint Horse Association. We are in their offices. This beautiful photograph behind me. This is a beautiful building. It's in the Fort Worth Stockyards in the Mule Alley area. I want to talk with Red about Fort Worth, Texas in just a little bit and his love for this town and what he's about to do in about a month from now, uh, less than a month from now in Fort Worth. Uh, but thank you to the American Paint Horse Association for all that they do. This is a beautiful building.
1: It's a gorgeous building. And this building was uh, housed the horses and mules in, in the early 1900s. Teddy Roosevelt gave a speech from this area. And when this, uh, after the stockyards burned, we lost about a thousand head of livestock on the day that it burned. They built these buildings that couldn't burn. And so now then they're re- being repurposed. And this beautiful office facility is part of the repurposing of these old established historical buildings.
0: If you come to Fort Worth and you go to the Cowtown Coliseum, which is almost right across the street from where we are right now, one of the things you will see at that historical building is a statue of Red Steagall uh, that went up a couple of years ago. You're, you know, it looks to me like you're guiding everybody down the street. Uh, with that statue is a uh, the horseback. And, uh, there are a lot of honors that have come to you, Red, but I've always thought of, in, in the time that I've had the pleasure of knowing you, um, one of the most humble down-to-earth people in, on the planet, and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, when, when people are recognizing you with things like statues and honors like this, I don't know, how do you maintain that?
1: Well, I just know that I'm, I'm highly favored and greatly blessed, and so I, uh, I've learned to accept it. Sometimes it's very difficult to understand, just like this legend of rodeo award it's hard to understand that i deserve this over and above somebody else who has spent their entire life perfecting and perpetuating the industry of rodeo the great american sport
0: you've got it you've got a lot of rodeo roots you were a bull rider as a kid before you you were stricken with polio um but even in media, you, you hosted for a few years the National Finals Rodeo Telecast. You hosted the Winston Tour Telecast. I think you had a lot to do with Butch Knowles, who just went into the Hall of Fame, um, when he first started on television, working with you at the college finals, right?
1: Yes. Well, it was the college finals, and then we did the Winston Pro Tour. Uh, he and, and I and Pam Minnick. But as far as the bull riding is concerned, Steve, I want to clarify that a little bit because I wasn't really a good bull rider but when i went off to college i just had the one arm and i i really wanted to ride bulls so i had three buddies and uh barton riley and uh, Nort mallory and buck ramsey and they had a bucking bull down at the end of connor hall on the campus and they'd take me down there every night and put me on that bu- on that barrel and they would try to throw me off and I learned to slay on that bull and unbeknownst to me, they entered me in the, in the intramural rodeo, and I won the bull riding. Well, I was hooked. I didn't win anything, but I set, won the title. So I started riding the uh, uh, the other rodeos in, in the area, you know, just uh, amateur rodeos. And uh, I didn't get bucked off much, but I didn't win anything because I didn't have any balance because my arm was tied down to my, to my belly to keep it from hitting the bull. but. Uh, One day I was going to Red River with my brother, Carol, and a couple other guys, and we stopped at uh, Raton, and I entered the bull riding. (coughs) And uh, I got thrown against the the chutes and broke a couple of ribs. And I got off that bull, and I got my bull rope, and I had lost my left spur leather, and so I didn't have any balance. And that bull was spinning to the right, and so I was gone. So I I went out into the arena and got that spur and gave it to my brother, Carol, along with the bull rope and the other spur, and I said, you ride the bulls, I'm gonna play the dances. Yeah. And that was the end of the bull riding career.
0: When you rode, did you ride right-handed? Because the, yes. the polio affected your left arm. Yes. So you had, but people need to understand, bull riders I interview, Red, tell me that free arm, the balance arm is maybe more important than the arm that they actually hold on with.
1: No doubt about, no doubt about it at all. Because you have to have the balance, and you have to be able to, to move with that hide and that old bull's turning inside that hide. You're not, and you're hanging onto the outside. Right. And that that free arm is your balance. And when you don't have it, you don't do very good.
0: Yeah, I um, Red Steagall is joining us. Thank you to Wrangler. Thank you to the Justin Boot Company. And, of course, thank you to Resist All. We wear it every day. Uh, I'm so proud to have the the sponsors and the partners that I've got in putting shows like this together. Let me ask you about... You're you're not a person I know how to define, Red. You're a singer. You're a songwriter. You're a cowboy poet. You're a storyteller. Um, you have you have touched so many different avenues of the western Western industry. Um, I don't think your life and your career can be pigeonholed, and that's not a bad thing. That's probably a very good thing. But but, any anyway, have you ever sat down and said, okay, how do I define what Red Steagall is?
1: There are two things that I've that I've learned to live by. Buck Ramsey was uh, he was injured when he was a very young man. He rode his horse inside Connor Hall at West Texas State, got kicked out of school. So he went to work for the, <laughs> the uh, Alabates Ranch and he was riding a young horse and got thrown off on the prairie and over a little rise in the prairie and, and was paralyzed f- for the rest of his life, spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. But he was a literary genius yeah. and he loved the cowboy way life. And he and I, you know, for years and years and years would, would write about it. and and reveled in the cowboy life. And he wrote one line in the, one of the greatest poems ever written is called Anthem. But he said, we are made of what we do, not the stuff we lay claim to. And so if, if you think about that, is that you constantly do things that you know are right, even if nobody's looking. The other thing that is important to me is Edgar A. Guest wrote one line in one poem that said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day so if you think about that and you try to live the kind of life that you want to live and you do it you use the talents that the lord gave you and you always know what's right and what's wrong there's no such thing as a wearing a gray hat you can wear one if you want to but it doesn't mean that in the middle is right it's either right or it's wrong and that's uh that's just the way i learned to live it's the way i've always lived and i've had a career that I like to say that I'm very blessed and greatly, highly favored, and the Lord has let me do that, and he's given me the tools to make a living doing what I love to do. So that's all I can tell you. I don't have a mission. I didn't have a, a game plan laid out. I just knew that I wanted to be a country singer, and I got that accomplished, and when that world changed, then I changed with it and found where my heart really was, and that was the world of cowboy music and poetry.
0: Do you remember the first song that you wrote and sang?
1: Well, yes, it was it was a song called The Dance, and it was in the teeny bopper days. I mean, uh, the rockabilly days. <clears throat> and uh, my best friends were were uh, Don Lanier and Jimmy Bowen, and they teamed up with a guy named Buddy Knox. And they had a, a group called Buddy Knox and the Rhythm Orchids. And they had seven big chart records in a row, and it was Those were the kind of songs we tried to write in those days. The days of Buddy Holly, I knew Buddy Holly. And and, uh, so we all tried to write those kind of songs. But then I uh, got a degree in animal science and agronomy and I was in agricultural chemistry for five years. And when I finally went to Hollywood, because Jimmy and Donnie were out there, by the time I got there, I didn't know anything about the music business. So I got in industrial chemistry and then Donnie and I wrote a song that. I got Ray Charles to record called Here We Go Again, and uh, started a a songwriting career. But I really didn't write anything that had any substance to it from the time I was in college until uh, I moved to Hollywood in 65.
0: Somewhere in there, you became a music executive, right? I mean, you were somewhere in between the, 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 the one career and the singing and songwriting career, you actually were working in the music business in an office, correct?
1: Well, I was a, a part of the team at uh, United Artists. And my friend, uh, again, a fellow from Amarillo, Eddie Reeves, was in New York and he was working for United Artists and they needed a guy in the, in the office in, uh, in Los Angeles. So they asked me if I wanted the job, and of course I did. And I was pitching songs, but what I was really pitching was the soundtracks for movies. And my office was on the sound Goldwyn movie lots. So I got to wander around with Burt Lancaster, who was my neighbor, and he'd take me by the hand and lead me around in all those sets, and explain to me what everybody was doing and why they were doing that and who, what union they belonged to. And so if later on when I did some movie business, I had a good idea because of what I learned from Burt. So that was a good part of my education too. But uh, then after my songwriting career took off pretty good, then Jimmy Boyne and I started our own publishing company and. And I got into the music industry as an executive, and then I started recording in uh, '68, yeah. and had 26 records in a, in a row in the national charts. Traveled all over the world.
0: When you say all over the world, not just across the country, but internationally, you you've been to you've been to a lot of different countries.
1: We started the first international tour we did was to uh, Spain and Germany, yeah. and that was really really something else. And then. I went to, uh, as a part of the State Department, I went to uh, uh, eight countries in the Middle East for six weeks, and places that we can't ever go back to, and I'm glad I went. so I, Because I saw a way of life and saw people that I'd never see again.
0: How was the cowboy way of life received on trips like that? I'm just curious. Did they? Did they crave it? Did they understand it? Did they all think you were John Wayne? Did they, how, how was the cowboy way of life received when you got to places like countries in the Middle East?
1: In the Middle East we took a Western Swing Band and we played concerts with Western Swing Music. And the majority of the people in most places were our employees and our military people who were stationed in that area. But when people from the outside, or let I say the outside, we were in their country, but when the, the local people came to the concerts, they came because they liked the beat. And the, and uh, like we did a, in Jordan, we played at a, uh, a military school where the cadets were all in there and they were very proper. Yeah. And we started playing western swing music. They stood up and started dancing. And the guy would come along with a billy club and tap him on the head and they'd sit down. And they'd watch him and as soon as they, he got out of sight, they'd jump back up and start dancing again. So then when we went to the, uh, to uh, middle America and South America, we uh, did the cowboy stuff because they could identify with the Baquero sure. and, and the South Texas cowboy. And then when we went to uh, the Pacific Rim in Korea and Papua New Guinea, they just loved the beat and they just loved to see Americans yeah. because they didn't get a chance to do it very often. We had, a, we had real good audiences in, uh, in Australia because of the, the uh, rodeo album that I did for all our cowboy friends in 77. Uh, and uh, that was really a big record for us in Australia, a big, big album. And they loved it. And we had big crowds in Australia.
0: Is there is there a favorite, uh, this is your, this is who's your favorite kid question right here. Is there a favorite song? Is there a favorite poem? Is there one that you look back on and, and you always think, um, this is, this is the one I'm really proud of. There's, there's so much to be proud of. Is there, is there one favorite?
1: Well, there would have to be. Here We Go Again changed my life. You know, it, I like to say that it, it uh, paid off the ranch and bought two lots on the golf course. And so Here We Go Again and Lone Star Beer and Bob Wills music uh, were songs that I'm really proud of. They happened in about 10 minutes. They were just, they just, they belonged there. My favorite poem is uh, one that I wrote that was George W. Bush's favorite poem called The Fence That Me and Shorty Built. And uh, it's from experiences, not directly, but lessons that I learned working on my uncle's farm when I was a child up in northwestern Iowa. So I'd go up there in the summer times and spend the summer with him, then come back to the Panhandle of Texas
0: um red is not only singer songwriter he is also the poet laureate of the state of texas or at least was um given that honor and i think still hold that honor today um again there i always wonder when i'm talking to creative people like that like you Red, and when i'm when i'm when i'm listening to the stories that you tell and and where does the inspiration for a song or a poem come from i know i'm driving down the road sometimes and i think i just Out of the blue, I think I really need to do an interview with somebody. Um, And it just comes out of nowhere. Where does the inspiration come from for the stories, for the songs, for the poems, for the things that you've done?
1: I might see something or hear a line, hear somebody say something that paints a whole movie in my mind. And I see the whole picture. All I do is sit down and write it down. And sometimes it takes weeks to polish it out and make sure that every line is the best it can possibly be but I, I just write the movie down, I see it in my mind, sure. and it might be just just one line. Uh, for example, when I came in off the road one time and Glenn Sutton was producing my records, and we'd just had a, a hit with a Truck Driving Man, and and uh, he showed me some songs and I said, Glenn, I really don't, really don't like any of these. And he said, well, what the hell do you want? And I said, well, the biggest part of my audience is in those dance halls is in Texas and Oklahoma and Eastern New Mexico and California. And I want something they can dance to. And he said, well, how about Lone Star Beer and Bob Will's music? We wrote it in 10 minutes. That was at four o'clock and we cut it at six. I'll be done So those kind of things don't happen very often. Donnie and I wrote Here We Go Again in less than 10 minutes. So
0: it's, uh, I don't know, I love it. Um, shows on the radio like somewhere west of Wall Street um the show where you you were in the bunkhouse um for and and you you had some great guests on that show talk about that
1: well in the bunkhouse was our first RFD show and it was a, a variety show where we had a lot of different things we were talking about and I would do a show up a song up front and then we'd go to the chuck wagon and and Cliff and and Bill would do something about a meal or, or one particular plate maybe. And then we'd go back inside and, and we'd do a song of inspiration and I'd do a poem. And it was just a variety show. Well, people talked to me about the show and they never one time said, I liked that song you started with or I liked that poem that you finished with. They said, really like that guy you were interviewing. I wish you'd hand more.
0: I was going through YouTube the other night, and I found I found Tallman, I found Donnie Gay. I mean, there's some great guests.
1: And the, and the other thing they always said is, thanks for doing a song of inspiration. It kind of wraps the whole thing for us. So I took those two ideas, and created Red Steagall is somewhere west of Wall Street. We're now in our 15th year, and uh, we've got a tremendous audience. We've covered, kind of, you know, we've We've created material for a research library that I think one day will really mean something to the study of our lifestyle. And the radio show, I've been on the air with Cowboy Corner for uh, 30 years. And if I stop to think about it, I'm 85. By the time when I was interviewing those people 30 years ago, they were the age that I am now when I was interviewing those old cowboys. They rodeoed in the 40s and 50s and rode, you know, worked ranches in the 40s and 50s. So that's a piece of, of American literature that we can't reclaim because they're gone, but we have their voice and their stories in their own voice.
0: You gave me a piece of advice one time, um, and I don't know if you remember doing this or not, but you said, you know, all these, all these people you talk to and all these people you interview, save as much of it as you can, because it's all history, it'll all be It'll all matter someday to somebody, and you've got 30, 40, 50 years of that history.
1: Yes, we do, and I'm I'm really proud of it. And we're still doing that. And uh, I just finished uh, 13 shows on people who are enshrined in the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame in Carthage, Texas, and I did uh, 13 of those shows, and they're people that I grew up with in the music business, they're all dead, but I got their stories from my viewpoint, and, and a really a good script writer.
0: This might be Steve's dumb question of the interview, but I'm gonna toss it out there. You're 85 years old, Red. I don't get the impression you're thinking about slowing down anytime soon. There's no place to go to quit.
1: That's, it. that's, that's the name of my new book. <laughs> there ain't no place to go to quit. What would I do? You know, I can only play golf one day a week. Uh, I can't rope anymore because I broke my neck and I'm afraid to do too many things horseback. So I'm very cautious about what I do uh, physically. So what in the world would I do? I love what I do. And I still have the strength and the energy to do it. And I still have, my mind still, well, Gail may not agree with you, but you agree with <laughs> me. And I think my mind's still good enough to do those kind of shows and find the locations and the people and the subject matter. I love to tell stories about people.
0: Um, Red Stiegel is joining us. Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame's Gold Buckle Gala is December 4th at the South Point Hotel Casino. You can go to Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame's website, which is ProRodeoHallofFame.com. Uh, you can go to ProRodeo.com and find out more. Red Steagall will be this year's honoree. Red, before I let you go, and I want to ask you just a little bit more about the gala before I let you go, and I really appreciate your time. Uh, we could we could do two hours. I've got a funny feeling, but I, I don't want to keep you for that long. But, um Tell me what's gonna happen in Fort Worth for the 30 something at the year at the end of the month of October, the 27th, 28th, 29th. I'm doing that from memory, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you take over the Fort Worth Stockyards for three days.
1: Well, uh, 33 years ago, a group of us gathered in the uh, office uh, above the old Coliseum, the Cowtown Coliseum. And we decided that if anywhere in the world should have a cowboy gathering, it ought to be Fort Worth because we, we had all the tools and, and, and all the places and the arenas, everything we needed to really do a quality event. So we started the Red Steagall Cowboy Gathering and Western Swing Festival. Western Swing music was invented in this town and there were some great Western Swing bands including Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. So we have dances on Friday and Saturday night, but we bring in uh, 14 teams from out west and from Oklahoma uh, for the ranch rodeo, and they compete in ways that they would, that they work at home uh, at home every day. Uh, we don't have bulldogging, we don't have bull riding, but we do have saddle bronc riding because they have to put up with some pretty tough broncs every once in a while. And then we have uh, events that they would do like branding and and uh, wild cow milking. You know, that's a real exciting event. And most people don't understand that, but if you got an old cow that's got an udder that's bad, that calf's your paycheck. Yeah. And that ca- if that calf can't nurse properly and gain weight like it should, it's costing you money. So you catch that old cow in the pasture and you tie her down and you milk her and you, put, you medicate her so that calf can have a good supper. So it's part of, of the cowboy way of life. And we celebrate the men and women who make their living horseback, working cattle, providing beef steaks for the dinner tables of america
0: um it's a great i had a chance to go to the ranch rodeo for the first time last year and uh, it is it is a great show it's a lot of fun if you've never been to a ranch rodeo ranch rodeos are completely different from what we do in las vegas in december and what we do in the across town here in fort worth in january but they are the there are two things that always stick out to me about ranch rodeos number one This is cowboy work. This is real cowboy work. And number two, you see some of the best horse flesh you will ever watch if you pay attention at a ranch rodeo, am I right in saying that?
1: Oh, that's exactly right. Because especially the ranches that compete are the ones who have the best horses. And if they're not highly qualified, they're not gonna win anything, so why spend their money and go there if they're not ready? And boy, these horses will knock your eyes out. And so I... It is something to look at the horses.
0: Um, Your role in rodeo, what's it been? To tell the stories, to sing the songs whenever you can, to introduce a lot of people through your radio and your TV shows to um, so many different rodeo athletes. What have I missed about your, your role in your life in the rodeo business in particular?
1: Well, I love the rodeo business and I love the people who are involved in it and so when I was when I decided that I wanted to do the the album for all our cowboy friends uh for example tight Levi's and yellow ribbons I, I was standing in the parking lot of the old Ramada hotel in Abilene and the rodeo was over and Ernie Taylor was loaded up and he was headed home I said where are you going Ernie he said I don't know said, when I got home last week, uh, everything in the house was cleaned out except uh, a trophy saddle and a bunch of ropes. <laughs> he said, I, I don't think she's coming back. And I just immediately had a great idea, tight Levi's and yellow ribbons, that's all she left me. And so I wrote that song. And then uh, I had written Freckles' song about Freckles and his ride on Tornado. And uh, I played it the first time for Clem X. Padden at the Brown Palace at, at Uh, in uh, Denver at the convention, PRCA convention. And he started crying and he said, Jim's got to hear that. So he found Jim and Jim listened to it and he started crying. He said, Freck's got to hear that. So they left and went to find Freckles and they brought him back, played it for him and he started crying. I thought, oh my God, I've done something really good. And there was one line that I had to change. And I played it for Clem first because... All I had seen was an eight hour l I mean an eight second loop of a black and white film and so I thought that was a white Bramer bull. Oh, yeah. So I he lowered himself on dark on on his uh how do I say that? Something with white hide and he said, No, it was dark red hide. He was a he was a braford. So that's the only line I had to change in the whole song. And uh it meant a world to me. It meant a lot to Freckles, and, and that made me really feel good that, that Freck liked it, and it meant something to him, and meant something to Jim. And uh, it made a whole career. I, I went to uh, <coughs> Denver that year hoping to book one rodeo, just so I could get my feet wet. And I left there with 19 rodeos in my pocket. And of that song.
0: You 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 actually you answered my next question, which was going to be about that song, actually. Uh, and, but I, to to have people literally guys like Clem McSpadden break down in tears, you discovered Reba. You and Clem McSpadden together, I think maybe discovered Reba McIntyre. Is that true?
1: Well, again, it was in '74, and that's the reason I was at the reason I was at the finals was because my buddies Ernie Taylor and and uh, Walt Garrison had invited me to go to the finals with him. And so I camped out in their in their room. And I'm walking down the hallway and I see this door open and it's full of people and they're watching this little film. Yeah. And I notice there's a little guy sitting on the arm of a chair everybody's paying attention to and that was Freckles. Yeah. And that was him riding a Tornado and that that's how I wrote that song. I wrote it the next day going back to Nashville. But uh I decided then that uh, I wanted to be a part of it. So that's how I was gonna get my feet wet. And uh, I'm walking down the hallway and this lady came up and grabbed my arm and said, can I bring my little girl up to the Justin suite and and sing with you? Mr. Justin used to rent a big suite for us after the rodeo was over with. So I'm a a guest, I'm not gonna say no to anybody. And I said, no, I, I don't mind at all. So I'm sitting over against the wall in a chair playing my guitar. And the door opened, this lady walks in with this little 19-year-old, freckle-faced, red-headed girl, and walks her over and sets her down beside me. And she starts singing with me, and it blew me away. And I realized that's that girl that was singing the national anthems that gave me cold chills listening to her. And so then I asked she and her mother to come to Nashville. I had a song, Glenn Sutton and I had just written a song that I needed somebody to cut a demo on. And I said, we'll do you a demo, and then we'll see if we can get you a record deal. And that's the way it all happened.
0: She was 19 at the time.
1: She was 19. Shortly after that's when she got married. But she and Jackie came to Nashville and, and uh, we started pitching. And, and, you know, I have to say this because this, this identifies why it took so long to get a record deal. Because she's one of the most unbelievable talents the world has ever known. But girls didn't sell records and they didn't sell tickets in those days. So if you were gonna sell tickets with a girl, you had to combine her with a guy. And if you'll remember, there were all those duets out on the road. They were individual artists, but yet they were duets. So you had to do that and you had to combine them on the records too. So.
0: Um, Red, tell me about December the 4th. What do you think that's gonna be like for you that night? Um, you're gonna have a lot of people who are gonna wanna come up, shake your hand, give you a hug, say hello. Um, a lot of stories are gonna be told. What's that night gonna be like for you?
1: Well, it's gonna be almost 40 years since I really got out of the quit playing rodeos. Uh, I still support rodeo through the radio and television world, but as far as being a performer in the rodeos, uh, it's been quite some time since about 85. So most of the cur- committee people that I worked for are not there anymore. So I don't know how many of those people I'll know, but if, if I can see some of them uh, that I really, you know, treasure their friendship and have not seen in 40 years, it'll be a great treat for me. And Gail's going to go with me, and uh, and she'll know a bunch of them. And It's going to be a, a great evening for us.
0: Red Stegall will be the honoree at the Pro Radio Hall of Fame's Gold Buckle Gala. That is December the 4th in Las Vegas at the South Point Hotel and Casino. Tickets are available. Um, and uh, you get to join, as we talked about when we started, some absolutely elite company. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the last hour that you have spent helping me to put this together. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate um, the opportunity that you have provided for so many of us in the Western way of life to help to further our story, to help to to tell the rest of the world about this great lifestyle that we live. Um, we've got something special here, Red, and... and It's up to all of us, I think, to continue to tell those stories. And and you've been at the front line of that for a lot of years. Can I tell you one more thing? Sure. Uh, At the University
1: of uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock, at the Ranching Heritage Center, we are building the Red Stegall Institute for traditional Western art. And it will have five disciplines, wall hanging art, sculptures, uh, metalworking, bits and spurs, leatherworking, saddles and boots, and the written word, poetry and music. And our idea, it's not a hall of fame, and it's not a museum, it's a learning institute. So that we can keep our the spirit of our lifestyle alive for future generations, and teach those young artisans, give them a platform so they can elevate themselves and take another step up the ladder to success.
0: You know, the biggest single challenge that we face at so many of our events is reaching the next generation um we've got in in rodeo we have this traditional sport and we're we're constantly trying to figure out okay if we add a little rock and roll music and if we put up the big scoreboard and if we we do some things on tiktok and on twitter and on instagram and all those so that we can continue to reach the younger generations and continue to attract them to our lifestyle you're giving the younger generation a first-hand opportunity what's what's where is this project at when will it be done
1: Well, we just started, we just started raising the money and we hope to break ground uh, before the next summer. And we just finished uh, at the uh, National Ranching Heritage Center, the Ranch Life Center with John Erickson's uh, dog, Hank the Cow Dog, and it's for children. And it's the most unbelievable presentation of ranch life through the, the eyes of this dog that you can possibly imagine. And I just can't wait till it opens and and watch the young people absolutely go bananas going through that facility. So we're teaching the young people, I mean the little people, uh, to appreciate the ranch way of life and the cowboy way of life. Then if we can keep it alive through the arts, then we've accomplished what we came to do is we keep it alive and healthy for future generations.
0: The, the Red Steagall Center you told me about, that's at Texas Texas Tech in Lubbock, and the, the, the Children's Center you just talked about is at?
1: At the Ranching Heritage Center in, on Texas Tech campus.
0: Red, thank you for everything. Um, I, I want to hear an update on that. I want to hear more about that as time goes by, and, and uh, when it's finished, um, it's, it's going to be an awesome, awesome facility, I'm sure. Red Steagle, thank you.
1: Thank you. Proud to be here.
0: Red Steagall will be honored at the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame's Gold Buckle Gala. He is this year's Legend of Pro Rodeo. That program takes place on December the 4th to kick off the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo at the South Point Hotel and Casino. There's more at ProRodeo.com and ProRodeoHallofFame.com. Today's program is sponsored by Wrangler. Long live Cowboys. I'm Steve Kinney.